on uh, Mother's and Father's Day, we preach a message that's really uplifting to whatever gender it happens to be, right? Or you preach something about how, you know, these are the motherly qualities of God, and these are the fatherly qualities of God. There's nothing wrong with any of those types of sermons, and in fact, over the previous three Father's and Mother's Days, I have preached those sorts of messages. Men, I'm sorry to tell you this morning, you are probably not going to leave here feeling massive encouragement. Because what we're going to talk about today is something that we like to think is just happening in the world today, but by scripture has been happening for thousands of years. It's one single verse out of Ezekiel chapter 22. That is not a misprint up there. I know I usually try to preach out of multiple verses. One verse today. Ezekiel 22, verse 30. I searched for a man among them who would build up the wall and stand in the gap before me for the land so that I would not destroy it. But I found no one. Now this is the prophet Ezekiel talking 3,000 about years ago about how God is searching the kingdom of Israel for a man to be a man. And God found no one. I'm going to tell you the whole point of this sermon today, right at the beginning. If God searched for a man in America today, would he find you or would he overlook you because you're not a man? I'm, of course, not today talking about XY chromosomes. It has nothing to do with that, although partially. I'm not really talking about the sexual idea, the gender idea of man. I'm talking about God looked for somebody in the entire nation of Israel who would stand up and have the qualities of a man, and he found nobody. So let's talk about it. Number one on your note sheets, starting the search Starting the search. When you read throughout scripture, how many times do you find it where God destroys a city, a civilization, a people group, so on and so forth, when he didn't first try to find a reason not to? I dare you, I don't think you're going to find one. Maybe there's one that I missed in my searching. I'm not infallible. So maybe there's one that I missed, but I couldn't find one. God does not just willy-nilly destroy things right? Jonah, it was a horrid generation of people. They had become vile in the sight of the Lord. He founded, he ended up, not, excuse me, not Jonah, Noah. He ended up finding Noah and his family, so he saved them. Jonah and Nineveh, he didn't just go and destroy Nineveh. He sent one of his prophets, and what happened in Nineveh? There was spiritual revival. Eventually it crashed, but there was spiritual revival. And each time in Israel's own history, right, that they were going to be taken captive or what have you, he always sent warnings first, giving them a chance. Sodom and Gomorrah. He literally visited the cities. He was like, I will go down after he had debated with Abraham. Did you ever read that passage of scripture and think, who is Abraham to try to haggle God down? Read that passage of scripture sometime in Genesis where God's like, I'm going to destroy it if I find this many, if I can't find a hundred. And Abraham's like, but what about 75? 
And eventually he gets him down. He's like, okay, but what if there is one holy person? And God's like, all right, fine. Would you have, if I may be so crude, would you have the testicular fortitude to look at God and haggle him down? I wouldn't. Now, the fact of the matter is he didn't find anybody that was holy and righteous in his sight, so didn't end up mattering. And God, of course, knew that. But like Abraham, right? Either way, God doesn't just destroy things. He always gives warning first, always. So he says, I'm 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 taking my hand off of Israel. Not only that, I'm going against them. But before I did it, I looked. I needed one man, one man in the entire nation to stand up and be a man. And I couldn't find him. Here's the other thing we read about this, and this is where the idea of gender comes into play. God looks for men. Women, do not misunderstand me. I'm not trying to downplay your role or anything like that. I hope in the three years that I have been here, you have heard me build up women enough that you know I'm not some sexist person or anything like that. But I will not deny that God designed different roles for men and women. Men, you you and I were designed to be the leaders which does not mean we get to be tyrants. It means we get to die first. To be the ones who stand up in the face of adversity, to be the ones who lead and impart wisdom to our children. Now, again, moms, that does not mean you don't get to do that. I learned more from my mom than just about anybody besides my dad. So it's not, I'm not trying to say, women, you're not important. You are incredibly important. But the fact of the matter is, God designed men and gave them the role of being in the front so that we take the beating. And he was looking for a man, not a woman who would stand up, which he has done in the past, right? Deborah and and others throughout scripture. He has used women to stand up in the past, but he looks for men first because that's how he designed them to be. For other things, he looks for women. He did not look for a man to raise his son. He found a righteous woman to do it. And a good man. I'm not trying to take away from Joseph, but I get the picture Mary had a larger hand in Jesus' life than even Joseph did in a lot of ways. So when he was looking for somebody to stand up to the defense of Israel and be a righteous person, a righteous leader, he looked for a man. Men, We are not Israel. Let me make that abundantly clear. The United States of America has never been, is not, and never will be Israel. We will never be God's chosen people. He's still looking for a man to stand up and lead. Right now, he's going, is there going to be a man who stands up and leads, as we read last week, a broken, dark, perverse generation or not? Number two, what's he looking for? Because it's not just biological man. There are qualities he is looking for. We've mentioned some of them already, but I want to talk about them a little bit more. He is looking for men who are willing to stand in the face of adversity. Being a good husband, we've talked about this when we were back in Ephesians, right? means you love your wife as Christ loved the church, which means you are willing to die for her. Not just a physical death, but a, a, a phys, uh, the physical death, but a mental death, your wants, your needs, all that dies for her. That's what it means to stand. 
those of you in here who have been married or are married have all been married a longer period of time than I have been. We're coming up on a year. We're two weeks. It's either two or three weeks. It's July 12th. I know the date. I just don't know the exact number of days until then, okay? Until then. There have already been times in our marriage where I have had to stand up and defend my wife. Sometimes she doesn't even know it. And I don't mean some man took her honor. No, no, no. I mean there are things I've had to defend her from and protect her from. Why? Because I'm the husband. I mentioned last week that I went to my mom's funeral, burial service. I told my wife, there have been two things up to this point in our marriage where I put my foot down and said, it will be done this way. She agreed with both of them, so it was okay. This was the third. I said, you will not go. She looked at me and I said, I will not expose you to that side of my family. I will not do it. It is my job to protect you from things I know will hurt you like that. It meant that for a three-hour car ride down and back, I was alone. I wasn't alone there. My sister and brother-in-law were there. So I wasn't alone there, but I was prepared to be because I knew I had to stand up and defend my wife. The fact of the matter is, men, you are charged with standing up and not just defending your wife, defending your family as a whole, defending your church, defending your community, defending your country. Not thinking that this is more important than heaven, it's not. But the fact of the matter is, men, we are the ones who are called to stand on the front lines and protect people. You want to wonder why churches fail? It starts with the men, because they didn't stand up and do the right thing. Take a look throughout. It always starts with men not doing the right thing. You want to know why your families fail? You might say, yes, but she's the one who was adulterous or this or that. But a plethora of the time, not every single time, but a lot of the time when families fail, it is because men did not lead correctly. Now, women, you still have your choices to make. Maddie could have technically driven there by herself without my knowledge. Women, we, you still have choices to make. But oftentimes when families fail, when churches fail, when communities fail, it is because the men didn't stand up in the face of the adversity. He's also looking for men who glorify him. Men, I won't deny, church isn't made for you and me. This is a gorgeous sanctuary. Is there anything in this sanctuary right now that you men look at and go, yeah, that's manly? Go ahead, take a minute and look around. I see flowers. I see beautiful stained glass windows. I see a beautiful tapestry. None of it really screams men. We sang three great songs this morning. And I do my best to pick songs that aren't 
mushy-gushy too much. If we ever do, um, oh, what's the name of the song? Well, the words to it are, uh, and when heaven meets earth, and the words are either like a sloppy wet kiss or an unforeseen kiss, we will sing unforeseen kiss. Because the thought of standing up there and singing, and heaven meets earth like a sloppy wet kiss, just makes me kind of icky inside. Right? It's the picture of a dog that's just coming. Just <laughs> I don't need that in my life. But the fact of the matter is, church is designed around women. Why? Because women are the ones who decorate. Because women are the secretaries and treasurers and the administrator and all this kind of stuff. Because men sadly are just expected to show up and then leave. But that's not what God expects out of you. God expects men to show up, to be engaged with the worship, be it in music or fellowship or the word, and then when you leave the building to continue engaging with God throughout your week. The fact of the matter is, men, we've made it far too easy on ourselves to show up and leave. Some of us might feel dragged here by our wives. It happens. Some of us, you know, we come and we know we're supposed to be here and it's good. It's a good service. The pastor's funny every once in a while. The music's pretty good. It's all right. You know, it's good. But God is looking for men who glorify him with their life and with all that they have. You see, we have decided in our culture what manly is. Manly is not putting our hands in the air or crying during worship. That's not manly. That's showing weakness. Well, you know what? I'm pretty weak before God. We've decided that to take part in real change, in real ministry, Right, helping people, feeding people, being Christ to people, that's for the women to do. We'll show up and we'll mow the lawn or we'll, you know, oh, we need this big thing moved. Yeah, we can do that. That's fine. And I'm not, I'm, please don't misunderstand me. I'm not downplaying that at all. But it's really easy to do that stuff and never once glorify God with our lives. It's easy for the, for, for the hospitality committee, which happens to be made up of all women at this church, to feed people at a funeral or, or today after service or whatever and never glorify God through that as well. But men, let me ask you, how much of your week is taken up with conversations of a theological nature? Do you get excited when somebody talks to you about what God is doing in their life? Or do you kind of get awkward and clammy because you don't want to talk about this stuff? This is emotional and personal stuff. I don't, I don't want to talk about that stuff. Men, do you have somebody in your life that you can go and cry to? And that they can come and cry to you back? Do you have a man in your life, men, that you walk through this life together with as a brother, glorifying God together. You see, it's easy for us to say, I can stand up. I can be protective and defend. Look at me. Your best superhero pose. And meanwhile, inside, you don't give a rat's behind about what's actually happening. That's the type of man 
God was and is looking for. And he looked and is looking in vain. Number three, in vain on your note sheets there. In vain. God found nobody. Think of how damning that is. The God of all the universe, omniscient, perfect in knowledge, which does not just mean he knows everything. It means he knows everything perfectly, which means he knows every branching timeline that could happen from every decision that has ever been made. The way that I explain that is, he knows exactly what would happen if I decided right now to walk back there and throw a punch at my dad. He also knows what will happen if I do not. He knows exactly the timelines that will happen. He knows which one will happen, and he knows what would happen if the other one did. So that's the God who is searching the whole of Israel and cannot find a man to stand up, to be a man. If we can put it succinctly, he can't find a man to man up. We think man up sometimes in our culture, right? It means, I'll be tough. Oh, man up, it's just a cut. Oh, man up, it's just this. No, 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 no. To man up means to stand and protect and glorify God with what all you have. And God, who knows everything, could not find somebody. You're telling me with the thousands of people that lived there, the thousands of thousands of men, he couldn't find somebody? Yes. Because that's what his word says. That's what he told Ezekiel to tell the people. You see, this was a last-ditch effort to see if somebody would man up. And nobody did. If you notice, the nation of Israel did not exist for 1,000-plus years. When God destroys something, he destroys it. Now, he allowed Israel to come back. Nineveh didn't, to the degree. Babylon, gone. Rome, gone. Greece, gone. The Medo-Persians, gone. When God decides that he's done with something, it is done. They still have never truly found where Sodom and Gomorrah are. Why? Because he obliterated it. It is and was gone. God doesn't play around. So as we close, I want to issue a couple of things. I go to prayer meeting every week, too, because I'm holier than the rest of you. <laughs> no, I do go to two, but at each one, somebody always brings up, and we usually end up praying for it, our country and our leaders. It is not a bad thing. Please do not misunderstand me with that. I am here to tell you that until men stand up and man up, it will not change. It won't. Because he's looking for a man. Your family will not change. Your community will not change. Your church will not change unless you man up. I thank God because we have a number of men in this church who I think man up on a daily basis. We aren't perfect by any means. So we've got room to grow. 
So here's my challenge, and it's not real homework like I've given you the past couple of weeks. I don't need you to, you know what? Wives, I need you to make a report for me. No, I'm just kidding. Men, man up. Be a man in your household. That does not mean you domineer and are tyrannical and every, your word is gold. No, 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 no. Don't forget about what we talked about a few months ago in Ephesians. And if you need to remember, go reread it, okay? Go listen to it. It's both podcasted and on our Facebook page if you're confused about what being a man in your, in your household means. I don't have the time to preach a whole other sermon. I mean, I technically do, but I don't think you want to listen to it because there's food soon. So, Man up in your households. Whether you live alone, whether you're like me and have a wife, whether you have kids, whether the kids are grown and gone, man up in your household. Be the strong wall. But more importantly, show your wife, your kids, yourself, that you are going to glorify God. Don't worry about what anybody else says or does. Oftentimes I hear that, well, they're not doing this. I don't give a rip. What are you doing? Stand strong. If it means that you've got to listen to the worship song and bawl your eyes out to good, good father, so be it. If it means getting up every morning, grabbing your cup of coffee, if that's what you drink, pulling out your Bible, and reading a verse. I don't, you don't have to read a whole chapter. Read a verse. Get in the word of God. Women, I have a challenge for you. It's Father's Day. Why do we have to do something? Calm down. It's easy enough. Encourage the men in your life. I've been married just under a year. Maddie has swiftly become one of the few people in my life that I do not want to let down in any way, shape, or form. I don't want her to look at me and be like, oh, he's not really fulfilling his roles. I'm not loved like I should be. I'm not cared for like I should be. I'm not defended like I should be. And he's not doing what he should be doing. So I get up every morning and do a devotional. I despise mornings. But I want her to know that I'm spending my first bits of time it's not 100% true. First, because she, she's always awake before me. I roll over and I kiss her good morning because she got mad at me once because I didn't. So I do that now. And then I get up and go, but I think God's okay if I do that. I think, he's, I think he's all right with that one. Then I go and do my devotions. Sometimes I do them right in bed with her. Sometimes I go in a different room. But because I want her to know that I am spending time with God first and foremost. She does it. I want her to know that I'm doing it so that we are both starting the day on the right foot and so that she knows if she needs something, I'm ready and able to do it to the best of my abilities. Women, encourage the men in your life to stand up. There is nobody, men, I know you're going to agree with me on this. This might be the only thing you agree with all morning. There is nobody in your life that can build you up or can tear you down like a woman. Women, you are excellent at tearing people down. Sorry. You got to work a little harder at building people up. It's the truth. 
Men and women have differing personalities and different things we deal with. I've been around women long enough to know it's not good a lot of the time. So you got to work a little extra harder to build up your husbands. So men, stand up. Man up. Be a man. Women, give him a little push. He needs it. We need it. I need it. Give, give a little push. It's okay. Not a nag. I, I want to make that clear. I can't stand nagging. I thank God Maddie's not a nagger. It's great. Her problem is she stops talking to me. And then I'm like, what did I do wrong? Usually it's nothing. She just doesn't want to talk, which is weird to me. I grew up in a family that never shuts up. So, Man up. When God looks for a man, let him find you. Don't make him search all of New Milford, all of Halstead, all of Great Bend, all of Montrose, anywhere. Let him find you. So you can go, great, I've got him. Who's next? In a society, in a world that is telling you not to man up, do it. So that he doesn't search in vain. Would you pray with me? Father, thank you for today. I want to thank you for men, for fathers that stand and man up. I want to thank you that you gave us this ability. I want to thank you that you allow us and give us grace in those moments when we, are, when we don't man up, when we fail. Father, as you look down on this church and the men in this church, I ask that you would see and go, there's some men. There's some men. And help us to be able to let you see that by manning up, by glorifying you with everything we do and say and think. It's in the name of your son we pray, amen and amen.